Well, we have started every um, sermon in this series the same way, and if you would indulge me, I would uh, really like to start this final sermon in, in this Emmanuel series the same way. And so let's read out loud Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. This has kind of been our anchor verse for this series, and we've been in various passages in the book of Psalms, and we're in the Gospels, and we've been in the book of Second Kings. But let's read this together out loud, and then we're going to dig into the Gospel of John today for the final message in this series. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, let's read it out loud together. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. To this point in the series, we have really focused on some very practical ways that Jesus, who is called Emmanuel in, in this verse, is with us. Uh, the first message, we again from Psalm 84, we talked about the uh, Jews' journey through the Valley of Baca uh, on their way to worship in Jerusalem and how difficult that was and, and how trying that was and and how slow going it was at times. It was dangerous. It was a treacherous journey. And we talked about God being with us in the valley. And then we talked about the life of Elijah, who found himself in the wilderness and terribly depressed. And we talked about um, how God is with us, even in those uh, times when we feel like we're alone and, and no one understands. Uh, God is there. Last week we talked about Jesus as he walked on the water and, and how he is with us in the storms of life, those times as our families experience yet again that, that come out of nowhere and seemingly blindside you and now you find yourself uh, in, a, in a tumultuous uh, situation. And I'm thankful today in nearly 60 years of living I'm thankful for the God of the valleys, I'm thankful for the God of the wilderness, and I'm thankful for the God of the storm, because I've needed him in all three of those situations, and he's been there every time, and I'm thankful for that. Well, today, we're going to take a more theological uh, approach to uh, the phrase, God with us. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of the incarnation. Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, the incarnation holds that Jesus, the preexistent divine Logos, and the second hypostasis of the Trinity, took on a human body and human nature, was made of flesh, conceived in the womb of Mary the Theocritus. The doctrine of the Incarnation then entails that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. Two natures joined in the hypostatic union. You got that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but it sounded good. How about this? The Incarnation refers 
to the literal infleshing of the eternal Son of God. It means that Jesus took on a human body and everything that is human and became both man and God. In other words, the one who created man became a man. John, in his gospel, put it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, by the Word. And without Him, without the Word, was not anything made that was made. In Him, in this one called the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. That's how John explains the incarnation. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. I think it's interesting as you study Matthew's story of the, the birth of Christ and, and again Luke's story of the birth of Christ, they each start in time. John, however, begins in eternity. What we have in the opening of John's gospel is the presentation of Christmas from heaven's point of view. You see, Christmas was not the idea of a group of philosophers or politicians or educators somewhere who got together and decided, hey, this would be a good idea. No, 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 no. Christmas was heaven's idea. Christmas was born in the heart of God before time ever began. Yes, it was played out on earth, but rest assured this morning, it was planned out in heaven. Let me show you what I mean. John teaches us three very important things this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus is heaven's language. John, John tells us in, in these verses who Jesus is. He says he was the Word. Now we understand the Bible is God's written Word, but Jesus is the living Word. And what is a word? A word is a vehicle that is used for communication. 
when I, when I speak to you, I am communicating thoughts through the use of words. Words are, are what we use to share our heart with others. When Christ was born, that was God's way of communicating what was on his heart. Someone has said that Jesus Christ is God spelling himself out in a language that man can understand. Here's something else that John teaches us. John tells us where Jesus came from. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So understand this today. Christmas was not the beginning of Jesus. It was the birth of Jesus, but it wasn't his beginning. Jesus existed before there was ever time. Again, John said in the beginning was the Word. If we were to read that in the Greek, it would literally say this. In the beginning, the Word was existing. Christ is the eternal or the eternally preexistent one. So who is Jesus? Well, John said he's the Word. Where did he come from? He came from eternity. And what did he come to do? Again, John has the answer. He came to show us the Father. Verse 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. The Greek word that is used there for declared is the same word from which we get our English word exegesis. It means to make known by expounding. When myself or Pastor Tyler stands and, and, and preaches the word of God, we are attempting to exegete the passage. And I'm attempting this morning to exegete John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In other words, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to expound the scriptures in a way that make them understandable. That's what exegesis is. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was the incarnate exegesis of God. He expounded him fully to the world as he brought him forth and set him before us clearly and completely. At one point in his ministry, Jesus said this, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many times have you heard somebody say, or maybe you've said it, Well, he is the spitting image of his Father. She is the spitting image of her mother. Jesus was the spitting image of God. When we saw Jesus, or when people saw Jesus, he said, you've seen the Father. But Jesus not only came to show us the Father, he came to save us. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as, he, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The thought that Jesus was made flesh 
takes us immediately to the thought of the virgin birth. He who was already in existence was brought forth of a virgin to reveal the Father and to redeem the fallen. Paul put it like this, but when the fullness of time was come, now there's been discussion and, and disagreement throughout the ages about was Jesus really born in December? Was Jesus really born on December the 25th? Some say it was probably in the more of our summertime, in July or August. Let me tell you, can I tell you this morning, I'm going to put this argument to rest once and for all. Can I tell you when Jesus was born? He was born when God said it was time to be born. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. You say, well, pastor, does, does, does it really matter if Jesus was born of a virgin or not? Uh, yeah. Can I tell you how important it is? Without exaggeration, it means the difference between heaven and hell. If Jesus, follow with me now, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then that means he had a human father. And if he had a human father, that means that he would have been born with that father's nature, which would have been a sinful, fallen nature. If he had a sinful, fallen nature, then he was a sinner. And if he was a sinner, then there's no way that he could have been the sinless sacrifice that was required to save the souls of men. But Jesus did not have an earthly father. Therefore, he did not possess a fallen nature. Therefore, he did not sin. And he was the sinless sacrifice that heaven demanded to save and secure the souls of men. Is the virgin birth that big a deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Christmas is all about Jesus. It's about, it's about Jesus, the language of heaven saying, God loves you. And wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. But not only was Jesus heaven's language, he is heaven's light. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5 again. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then a verse that we didn't read, verse 9, if you have your Bible open, John said this, that was the true light. Notice the capital L there, as the capital W was in word, so we know who we're talking about. That was the true light, which lighteth every man, don't miss this, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every year, 
since Brother Bob Killingsworth was born. That'd be 1923. Every year since 1923, a large evergreen tree has been, has been transported to the White House, and they've decorated it with, with, with thousands of, of colored lights. This year, they used 50,000 colored LED lights and approximately 450 star ornaments. And on December the 5th, President Trump pulled the switch and the tree lit up. According to John, it was Jesus who pulled the switch, if you will, and turned the lights on in creation. Not only that, but John reveals that the light of creation, listen, the light of creation gives light to every man. Preacher, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Through the light of creation, the hills, the, the valleys, the mountains, the lakes, the trees, the prairies, the plains, the snow-capped mountains, through all of that, God has revealed his existence in the conscience of every living person. In other words, creation itself is enough to prove there is a God. The mountains and the valleys and the hills cry out, there is a God. There is a creator. But sadly, many reject that light. And they choose rather to live in darkness. There's a lot of darkness in our world today. A magnitude of moral darkness. But may I submit to you this morning that the greater darkness is the spiritual darkness that engulfs it. Multitudes of, of otherwise intelligent, otherwise enlightened individuals are living in absolute darkness spiritually. The Bible tells us that the, the God of this world hath, hath blinded their minds lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. The devil's work in this world is to blind the minds of as many as he can to keep the light of the gospel from shining to them. Listen today, the only hope for them is Jesus, the light of the world. If you sit before me this morning, yet in spiritual darkness, the only hope for you is Jesus, the light of the world. The only hope of the lost is to respond to the light of his word by coming to him in faith as their Lord and Savior. Which brings us this morning to this final truth. Jesus is not only heaven's language, he's not only heaven's light, but Jesus is heaven's life. In him, in the light, in Jesus, 
is life. And that is true physically, absolutely, but more importantly, it's true spiritually. Two verses that I, uh, two other verses that I did not read are verses 12 and 13, which say this, but as many as received him, some did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born, that word born there is a reference to being born again, uh, the second birth, being saved, which were saved, if you will, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The good news of Christmas is that those who are spiritually dead can be spiritually alive. They can be born spiritually. They can be born again, a spiritual birth and and while it excites me to be able to share with you this morning how that can happen, I think we need to understand what John included in verse 13. And I don't think it would do the verse justice if we skipped over that. If I just went right to how a person can be born again, I think it's easy or it's important for us to understand how they're not born again. Because John thought it important enough, I should say God thought it was important enough through the Holy Spirit as he spoke to John, God thought it was important enough to include it. So let's talk about it real quick. John clearly states that salvation is not by human descent. It's not of blood. Listen to me. It doesn't make any difference. How far back you can trace true believers in your family if you have not been born again, you are not going to heaven when you die. My children were born into a ministry home. They have not known anything from the time they left the hospital to today. They've not known anything but Jesus and the gospel and eternal life and salvation. They were raised with that type of teaching and with biblical preaching. But listen, that does not mean just because their mom and dad were saved didn't mean they were born saved. Any more than the fact they were born in a hospital made them a doctor. Oh, they decided to be a doctor. That would be their own personal decision, and they would pursue that. My son, both of my sons, our sons, our daughter, listen, they had to make their own decision to come to faith in Christ. Yeah, six grandchildren, one of them have made that decision. We're praying for the other five to make that decision, but it will be just that. It will be their decision. The fact that Grammy and Papa are Christians and Mom and Dad are Christians doesn't make them a Christian. It's not by human descent. Being born into a Christian home and a Christian family is not enough. 
If we're going to be saved, it will be because we decided that we wanted to receive Christ as our Savior. It's not by human descent. I've, I, I've asked people before, you know, about their, their faith in Christ and about their salvation. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, man, well, our families are Christians from way back. Well, that's not what I ask you. I ask you, have you been saved? That's important. It's not of human descent. John thought it was important enough for understand this morning that it's not of human desire, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. One preacher put it like this, just because I might desire to be the son of a millionaire doesn't make me one. Yeah, but I want to be a Christian. I want to be a believer. I, I want to go to heaven when I die. Well, that desire is good, but that desire alone is not enough. We must decide to make it happen. And then John makes this clear as well. Salvation is not by human design. See, there are, there are all ways that are stated out there, that are declared ways of salvation. But if they're anything other than by faith alone, in Christ alone, they are man-made. They are by human design. Some say, well, you've got to join our church. You've got to be one of us to go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. Well, you've got you've to be good and and you got to be a good husband, a good father, good wife, good mother, good child, good, good, good person, good citizen. You just got to be good and, and hope in the end that, that your good works that way, your bad works. That's not in the Bible. Well, you, you've got you've to do some religious thing, be baptized or, or go through catechism or whatever uh, in order to get to heaven. Listen, none of that stuff is in the book. It's not by the will of man. There's only one way to be saved, and it's not a Baptist way or a Methodist way or a Catholic way. It's a Bible way. That's it. And the Bible way is this, by grace through faith. Grace alone, faith alone, Jesus alone. Well, preacher, if it's not by any of those things, then how are we saved? Well, John says it, it's by heaven's decree. He said salvation is of God. To be saved, one must believe, John said, on the name of Jesus. Well, preacher, why his name? Because his name is the key to our salvation. You see, for four weeks now, we have been quoting or we've been reciting John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, but two verses before that, before the angel said that the, Jesus would, would be a nicknamed, if you will, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, he said this to Joseph, and he shall, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. To believe on his name is to believe in, in what his name signifies. 
It is to believe that Jesus can save you from your sins. And obviously that presupposes that you yourself understand that you are a sinner before God. And that you cannot save your sin, yourself. So we believe, John said, then we receive. Salvation is to as many as receive Jesus. We read in these verses that he came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him gave he power to become the sons of God. So understand this morning that it's not a belief that Jesus is a Savior or even that Jesus is the Savior. He must be our Savior. And the only way that can happen is if we receive Him, is if we surrender our life to Him. And once, the the Bible says this, and once we have received Christ by placing our faith in Him, we become a child of God. So as we come to the close of of this message in this series, I'm just going to ask you today, have you believed on the name of Jesus? Have you received him as your Savior? Have you become a a child of God? I hope so. Pastor Tyler prayed this morning. He goes, listen, that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the presents and the pageantry and, and all of that. All of that stuff is fine. But church, that's not what Christmas is all about. It's about receiving the gift of eternal life that is offered by God through His Son. Just yesterday, I read about someone who bought the winning lottery ticket in Goodyear, Arizona. And their number was drawn. One point four five six million dollars almost almost 1.5 million dollars was theirs for the claiming bought at a convenience store in june in goodyear arizona but on december the second their 180 days were up and so they could no longer claim it <laughs> million dollars. And somebody just let it, just let it go. They preach, that's nuts. Granted. Can I tell you this morning something that's even crazier than that? Is for people to sit in services just like this. And let the gift of eternal life 
just go right by. Listen to me. One day, that $1.5 million will be gone. But eternal life is just that. It's eternal life. It's yours forever. And it's yours for the claiming. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to be anywhere. <laughs> you just receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So as you wrap it up, I'll say this. Christmas is about Jesus speaking heaven's language and you saying, I hear you. It's about Jesus sharing heaven's light and you saying, I see you. It's about Jesus sharing heaven's life and you saying, I want you. That, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. And I don't know if that it would be Christmas preaching for me if at some point I did not share the, the words of, of this beautiful song with you that says Christmas isn't Christmas till it happens in your heart. Somewhere deep inside you is where Christmas really starts. So give your heart to Jesus. You'll discover when you do that it's Christmas, really Christmas, for you.